0: Have you ever thought that if you could ignore one or two people in your life, that you'd be an exceptionally loving person? You ever felt like that? For Cain, in the Old Testament book Genesis, his one person was his little brother, Abel. Cain and Abel's parents, Adam and Eve, after God sent them out of the garden in their shame and regret. They did have glimmers of hope. You see, God had covered their shame by giving them garments. Great display of mercy. God had commissioned them to go and cultivate the land and to have a family. They had a sense of purpose. And God even given Eve a promise. He said to Eve, a descendant of yours would crush the head of that serpent deceiver. You ever wonder what it was like for Eve when she had her firstborn and held Cain in her arms? I wonder if she thought this boy is the answer to God's promise. How broken she must have felt when she realized Cain was not the answer, but he was under the same spell of that deceiver. Cain and Abel had grown up and they were offering sacrifices to God, and Cain offered some of his fruit or grain to the Lord and Abel offered a firstborn of his flock. And God in his sovereign wisdom accepted Abel's sacrifice but did not accept Cain's sacrifice. And this sense of rejection infuriated Cain. But God in his mercy came to Cain and said to Cain, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. But it did not have to be like that. God was inviting Cain into the same favor that his brother Abel experienced. He didn't have to stay angry. After this conversation between Cain and the Lord occurred, the Bible says that Cain and Abel had a conversation. The Bible doesn't tell us what the conversation was like, just said they had a talk, so we don't know. There's kind of a gap there. The next thing we see is that Cain and Abel end up in a field. I don't know if Cain said to Abel, hey, I want to I offer a better sacrifice, will you go out in the field and help me? We, we don't know what Cain said, we don't know how they got out in the field, but when they got out into the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel, and he killed him. That just blows my mind. They grew up together. They played together. They were brothers. And Cain killed his brother. God came to Cain and he asked Cain some questions. And they sound very similar to the kinds of questions that God had asked Adam and Eve in the garden. Cain, where's your brother? And what have you done? It's, it's not that Cain didn't, or that God didn't know what Cain had done. It's that God was inviting Cain into the first step back into the light. He was inviting Cain to confess. But you know what di- Cain did? As God extended mercy through an invitation to confess his sin, Cain lied. What am I? Am I my brother's keeper? He lied to God. God had every right to bring judgment full and swift on Cain. But you know what God did in his punishment to Cain? He extended even more mercy. He said to Cain, you're going you're to be a fugitive. You're going to be a wanderer. You're going to have to change the way you do what it is you're doing with your life. You know how Cain responded to that extension of mercy even in judgment? He said, God, this is too difficult a punishment. And he actually blames God. You're driving me out. Are you kidding me? That is just amazing that Cain would look at God and say, this is your fault. It's unbelievable. Cain could not get past that one person and that one circumstance, even though he had every reason to love. We don't wanna be like that. We we don't wanna have that one person or one circumstance in our life we can't get past. And before you conclude, That you're not like Cain, that we would never do anything like he did. Remember that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, if you're angry with your brother, even enough to call your brother some names, you are guilty enough to be thrown into hell. Jesus wants us to love everyone, no exceptions. I'm really grateful that Jesus wants to help us with that kind of obedience. So let's read together 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 11. 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 11. This is the message which you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who is of the evil one, and killed his brother. And for what reason did he kill him? Because his works were evil, but his brothers were righteous. Do not marvel, brothers, if the world hates you, we know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brothers. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we have come to know, love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Whoever has the goods of this world and and sees his brother having need and shuts his heart to his brother, how can the love of God abide in him? Little children, do not love in word or tongue, but in deed and truth. We're to love one another. We know we should, and we know. that's what God wants from us, and for most of us, with the exception of one or two people, we're probably doing a pretty good job. But we live in the world where Cain killed Abel. You know what that means? That means that it is extremely likely that every single person in this room has experienced the brokenness of relationships with other people. We've been hurt. We've been rejected. We've been treated in a way that we didn't think was fair or right. We've experienced abuse, some physical, some sexual we we've experienced emotional challenges of relationships with people who have slandered us who have backbitten us and stabbed us in the back we live in the world where Cain killed Abel this is not foreign to families Think about how much the world where Cain killed Abel has affected families. It's hard to find a family that's not been scarred by divorce, abandonment, rejection, a dysfunctional mom and dad, an absent father, a failing mother, an alcoholic. What is it like to live in a family when you're compared to other people in the family and you always come up short? What's it like in the family to have expectations levied on you that you'd never be able to meet? I wish it weren't true, but even the church is not immune to these kinds of broken relationships. You think about the church. The church is the place where we are supposed to have the closest relationships Where we have the highest expectations of other people because of their confession of Christ. And where we're supposed to be the most vulnerable about who we are. Do you think we're going to escape the brokenness that can come in relationships? I mean, church is the place where you can experience hurt and pain. Where someone can say something or do something to you and you think they should know better. This is the church, and it can be a deep wound. The relationships that we're in, in the church and in the family and in this world, they can move us more naturally down the path of hate and anger than we can move towards love. And the crazy thing about living in this world where Cain killed Abel is it really is, for most of us, about one or two people. And it'd just be a lot easier if we could ignore those two people, right? But but Jesus wants us to love one another with no exceptions. And this no exceptions perspective is absolutely essential. I want you to look at how important it is to have this perspective. No exceptions. I'm going to love everyone. Look at verse 11 again. He says, This is the message which you heard from the beginning. Here's the message from God. This is what God wants for us. We should love one another. This is God's command. No exception is essential because this is what God wants for us. Look at verse 14. We know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brother. The one that we feel like hating the one we are angry at and don't really want to love, the one that we'd rather ignore, when we love that one, we have an assurance in that display of love that we belong to God because there's no way we can love that one except that the grace of God is at work in us. And the fact that we can love that one we would prefer not to love with a genuine love from Christ is evidence that we belong to Christ. It shows that we have passed from death to life. And if we just keep on hating and being angry instead of loving we're still in death and so there's this great gift of assurance when we see the essential requirement of the command to love one another without exception i don't know if you know this but yesterday was kurt prater's birthday and um Let's just say that I gave Kurt Prater a $100 bill for his birthday. I didn't and I wouldn't, but let's just say <laughs> that I did that. And so he's got this crisp, brand new $100 bill burning in a hole in his pocket and he says to his family, hey, let's go out to eat today. And He pulls out that $100 bill and one of his kids sees that $100 bills and thinks of her dad. He's a hardworking man. Well, that particular hundred dollar bill would not be evidence of Kurt Prater's hard work it would be evidence that he had a birthday when we love the one we would rather be angry at we're not earning eternal life we're not showing what we've earned we're simply displaying that we've received the gift of eternal life And if you've received the gift of eternal life you find within yourself because of the grace of God at work in you the ability to love the one you'd rather hate. And it's assurance that God's working in you. That's why we want to have a no exception kind of perspective on this command. Look look also at verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother, is a murderer. and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him? What the Bible is not telling us in that passage is that murderers cannot be forgiven of that sin, that it's an unforgivable sin. That's not what the Scripture is saying. Scripture is just drawing a picture out for us to recognize how serious it is when we choose to be angry with one person as a follower of Christ instead of loving everyone as a follower of Christ. It's just saying it's the same thing. When you choose a life of hating or being angry at one person, and you'd like to just ignore that one person and say you're doing pretty well with everything else? What that's saying is it's just like an unrepentant murderer. They just killed one person and they think just because they did it once and they're unrepentant, not that big of a deal. No, the scripture's saying it's a huge deal. It's this echo of Jesus' words if you're angry with your brother, you're guilty enough to be thrown into hell. Listen, this is serious. No exceptions. We're to love. One another, no exceptions. Verse 16. In this we know love. He, Jesus, laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our life for the brothers. You know why it's essential to have no exception perspective on this command? Because if you've experienced... The love of God through the death of Christ for your sins. How can you not love your brother? No matter what your brother has done. No exception. And we can love. We can love. Look at verse, verse uh, 18 there. My little children... Love not in word or tongue, but in deed and truth. You know why we can love more than just saying we love? You know, it's one thing to say to someone, hey, I'd take a bullet for you. And then for them to never experience one ounce of love from you. It's not saying. It's saying and then doing. It's the kind of love you experienced from Christ because Christ loved you when you were unlovable, because Christ loved you when you were his enemy. You know what it's like to then love someone who does not love you. And because you've experienced Christ laying down his life for you, you can lay down your life for your brother who doesn't deserve it. And this laying down your life kind of love Is evidenced in an everyday kind of laying down your life by actually doing something to love and to serve and to give and to help. Uh, Laying down your life kind of love for your brother that doesn't deserve it will every day look like just helping your brother who doesn't deserve it. Putting your brother's needs above your own. Not just thinking about yourself, but thinking about what your brother or your sister needs. And because of Christ, you can love in deed and in truth. Loving in truth means that you are loving because of the truth of God's love for you. The deeds that you are doing to demonstrate I've laid down my life for my brother in laying down these simple acts of love and service, those actions are being propelled forward on the truth of Jesus Christ's love for you so that you can then say, I'm going to love my brother who doesn't deserve it because God loves me and I never deserved it. I can love my brother who may actually continue to hurt me Because I've found life in Christ and no one can steal what Christ has given me. I'm going to love, deed and truth because of Jesus Christ, no exceptions. We can do it because of Christ, but that doesn't make it easy, right? You think about all the areas that Christ commands obedience. His commands are always a no exception command. That's what he expects, no exceptions. Well, that's really challenging. Every time we understand his commands are levied with a no exception expectation, that is so challenging. So let's read this next section. Verses 19 through 24. By this, we know that we are of the truth and we will convince our hearts before him. Because if our hearts condemn us, God is greater Than our hearts, and He knows everything. Beloved, if your heart does not condemn you, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commands and we do the things which are pleasing in His sight. And this is His command. We believe in the name of the Son, Jesus, Son Jesus Christ, and we love one another, just as he gave us the command. And the one who keeps his command abides in him and he in him. And by this we know that we abide in him from the spirit which he gave us. There are times when we are moving forward in our faith in Christ, and we are moving towards obedience, and that forward movement in our life is overshadowed by the cloud of our shortcoming. Have you been there? Have you have you ever felt like you may think I look really spiritual right now on the outside but if you knew what was churning on the inside I wouldn't look nearly what you think I look like right now I'm I'm failing more in the faith than I care to admit have you ever had those kinds of thoughts have you ever thought about hey I know that I'm trying, but here in my failure, I feel my failure more than I feel my successes. And I don't feel very spiritual right now. In fact, how I describe what I feel right now in my life is that my heart is condemning me. Have you ever been there? Have you been at a place where you think, I don't even feel like praying because I don't know that my prayers and the words I'm going to utter to the Lord really mean anything because I can see what I've been doing in my life and I don't feel like I'm very close to the Lord right now. Have you you found yourself to be in a place where you know because you don't measure up that you're not sure you measure at all before the Lord? There are times when our failures are the reason that we feel this condemnation in our hearts, and it can make us wonder are we even okay with the Lord? I should love someone better than I've loved that person I should be experiencing more victory in my life over this sin that I'm experiencing when I read the Bible and I hear the people talk I hear that they're experiencing something that I'm not experiencing right now am I really okay with the Lord and your heart can condemn you and it can be severe and you can feel like you're falling dangerously short of the Lord's expectations you've been there maybe you're there today Maybe for you it's not that severe. Maybe it's this lingering condemnation kind of hovering around your life because you find it easy at times to compare yourself to other people and you are certain they're doing a lot better than you are spiritually. And you'd wonder, does God really love me right now the way that I am? And if you're honest, You seriously doubt it. I have good news. The scripture says in verse 20 that God is greater than our hearts. And he knows everything. Do you know that God knows every shortcoming and failure and unclean thought and action? He knows everything we've done in our sin. We're not surprising him in our failures. He's not unaware of the depth of our brokenness. He's not... Missing on the reality of what we're doing that doesn't please Him. He knows everything. And here's the thing we see our lives through the lens of our brokenness. He sees our lives through the lens of His holiness. He knows how broken we are, and He is greater than our hearts. Yes, our hearts may be judging us rightly in the sense that we are not okay with the Lord and that we are not doing all that we should and that we could certainly do better yes our hearts may be informing us correctly but here's the thing our hearts are not our judges God is greater than our hearts You know what God says to those who've trusted in Jesus Christ? He says, Romans chapter eight, verse one, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ, my son. God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything and in knowing everything, he invites us to confess to him all that he knows and he says in 1 John 1.9, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is greater than our hearts and he knows everything and he promises to forgive. Do you hear what God is saying? There are some of you here this morning and this last week spiritually and you walked with the Lord and you are sensing the evidence of the gift of eternal life. And you came in here assured that you belong to the Lord because you've experienced evidence of his gift and your confidence is in Christ. And you know you belong to him. But that's not everybody in this room. That's likely a small sliver of us. More accurately, we probably came into this room and faced and confronted with our own failure to meet the no exception expectation. We feel our failure. But what God wants us to leave with is the assurance of his gift. And so he says where your heart condemns you, you've got to understand that I am greater than your heart. And if I say you are forgiven, you are forgiven. If I say you are cleansed, then you are cleansed. If I say I have saved you because you called on my name, you are saved. Jesus wants you to have assurance that you belong to him. But he never wants your assurance to be Resting in something you have done. He wants your assurance to always be found in the person of Christ so that you then can be confident. Your heart can be persuaded before God that you are His and He wants you to be persuaded because of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has saved you not because of what you have done but because of what He has done. He has saved you through your faith in Him and He has forgiven you of all of your sins not because you are worthy of it but because He is worthy of dispensing that kind of love on you. You, He loves you. And if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, He wants you to know that kind of assurance. And you only find it in the Gospel. He, he, he wants us to love others with no exception. And He wants us to, in moments where we experience that kind of evidence to be assured we belong to him. But he also wants us in the moments we don't experience that kind of evidence because our failure overshadows his work to be no less assured that we belong to him because he is greater than our hearts. It's from that confidence that rests in the gospel that we are then to ask whatever it is we want to ask and he will answer. You know what I've found in my own life is that oftentimes my requests, out of the condemnation of my heart are requests for God to help me in the areas I'm struggling But if I ask God to help me in the areas where I'm struggling out of the condemnation of my heart, I should not expect a good answer. But if I ask the Lord to help me out of the confidence of the gospel, that in the areas in which I struggle, I am cleansed, then I can expect that my questions, my requests will be a reflection of what he's promised in the gospel. In those kinds of requests, he always answers. We're, We're gonna see another time in chapter five about this invitation to ask and receive, and we're gonna get into a lot more depth there, but right here, what you need to understand is that as you see your confidence in Christ and Christ alone, there will be requests that come out of that confidence that are right in line with what God's ready to do in your life, so ask. Receive his help. But do it in the confidence that only the gospel brings. And then, as he answers your prayers, keep his commands. In case you're wondering what those are, he makes them really clear. Here are the commands. Believe, verse 23, believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. You know what God wants you to do? Put your faith in Christ alone, period. And then just love people with no exception. That's what it means to abide in Christ. To keep circling back to the confidence that the gospel brings. And out of the confidence that the gospel brings, ask for God's help. And when his help arrives, Keep on trusting in Christ and Christ alone and loving people that otherwise you wouldn't love. That's a display of the gospel that the world needs to see.